We're going to come back to the book of Romans again, or we're going to turn to it in a moment. And as you know, I've been talking about the gospel. And uh, I, I say again that I'm sharing what I believe God has laid on my heart. And um, the theme for the, tonight when we come to look at the gospel is simply the alliteration again, the D's, okay, tonight. It's the desperate need for the gospel. And as we've been singing those songs tonight, you know, um, that one from 748 in the song, no, it's not, Mission Praise, 748. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have ceased from my wandering and going astray. I possessed of a hope that is steadfast and sure. There's a light in the valley of death now for me and I shall go there to dwell in that city I know. And as we're singing the verses from that song, it reminds us It reminds us not of what we are and what we've got and what we've become, but it should remind us of the desperate need that is still outside. It might be those that are our neighbours, the community where we're living. It might even be family members. Family members that, as we think of what we've got since Jesus has come into our heart, we realise the desperate need for them to come to know Jesus as Saviour and as Lord. And then that one there, there is a name I love to hear. And I, I've got to be honest, I don't even know if you got the right tune. I don't know. <laughs> I was so mixed up myself. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because we were just singing the words. Um, you know, there is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. But we also ought to be saying, there is a name I love to hear. I love to tell its worth because of the desperate need for the gospel and we ask the question why is the gospel needed why did God's son have to become flesh and dwell amongst us well if we go to 1 Timothy first before we go to Romans there's that very important verse there that says um, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners so why did Jesus, why did God's son become flesh and dwelt amongst us? He came to save sinners. And Paul went on to say, I was the worst or the foremost. And we might all think that we were the worst, but it doesn't matter who was the worst. We were all sinners going to hell. And Christ Jesus came into the world to save us. And so it reminds us of the desperate need for the gospel. If we go back to Romans chapter 1, and I know that I concentrated my thoughts on the first <coughs> seven verses um, in the last couple of times. As you go on into that chapter, I'm going to read from verses uh, 18 to 32. Uh, I, I sort of debated whether I'll read them or not, but I'm going to read them. Uh, it tells us why Christ came and it shows us the desperate need of men and women and therefore the desperate need of the gospel from verse 18 of Romans 1 it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature for, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonourable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous degree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. What a picture of today. What a picture of today. The desperate need for the gospel. And we know that as a result of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, and I'm talking of stuff that we know, but it's, it's stuff, it's truth that we need to keep reminding ourselves about. Uh, and we know about the fall in the Garden of Eden. And from that moment when Adam and Eve failed, mankind slumped into what we call utter depravity. And it's summed up in those verses. Utter depravity. See, God had instructed Adam and Eve, you must not. But the devil came and challenged what God had said, distorted it, and as a result, sin entered humanity. Man became cut off and alienated from God. And we read of it, don't we, in Ephesians 2. Um, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind you know linking this to what i was sharing on friday evening it just reminds us as how important it is that we need to keep to the truths that are found in the word of god because scripture is being distorted so much today that even believers i'll use the i'll put the term believers that way uh, are just falling into some of the stuff that is found in what we've just read in Romans chapter 1 and saying it's okay. They're finding a way of worming around or worming out of what God's word says or, or trying to twist God's word to allow them to continue in this kind of lifestyle. It's just 
the utter depravity of mankind. And we know that after man had fallen, that God pronounced judgment. He'd already said that if you disobey me, then the end result is going to be death. And the devil twisted it. He got them to think other things and to think it's not going to happen. And, you know, you'll be like God. That's what's going to happen. You'll be like God. And we know that they disobeyed and God came. And there in the garden, he pronounced judgment on Adam and Eve. And that judgment he pronounced upon them was upon every human being that would ever come into this world because of sin. But we thank God that at the same time, he gave the hope of a promised redeemer. And therefore, why is the gospel needed? Because of sin. But we thank God that his son came, born in the flesh, to dwell amongst us, to save mankind. And we know that we know only too well how the sin that, that originated first in the heart of Satan, because he was the one that rebelled first and was thrown out of heaven and was then through transgression passed on to Adam and Eve, became inherent in their offspring and thus through every succeeding generation. And we see immediately, if we go from the book of Genesis, we see immediately how this sin that originated in Satan and then came into the heart and lives of Adam and Eve just was inherent in the rest of humanity. For immediately we know that um, Abel was murdered by his brother Cain. Sin expressing itself now in a violent way. And then we come to Genesis 6, which is probably only a, a thousand or so years later or whatever it might be. And we find that it says that when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the son of God, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh his days shall be 120 years the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they brought children to them and these were the mighty men who were of old the men of renown and the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth it must have been a sad sight for God to look down from heaven and see what he saw. The wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made the man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. You know, as I was reading those verses, uh, you know, I began to think, well, we can't really e even begin to imagine or to understand how God must have felt. And yet we live in that fallen world. And if we are truly born again by the Spirit of God, it should grieve us when we see the utter depravity that is all around us and that is rampant today. And I, I would like to say more than it's ever been before, but it's no different to the days of Noah. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And surely the picture that we see around us must remind us of the day that Jesus must be coming soon. Because surely, surely, Days, the days can't get any darker. Man can't get any worse. And just as God stepped in with Noah, he's going to step in again with the second coming of the Lord Jesus 
Christ. And so as I've read in those verses, Paul paints that picture, which we've read, of a representation of the days that we are living in. And so we must have to say, oh, how this world needs Jesus. Oh, how this world needs Jesus. See, these verses clearly show to us the progression of the universal reach of sin and the, the utter depravity of mankind. How just a couple in the Garden of Eden, a place of beauty, a place, place where they knew what it was to know the presence of God and to have fellowship with God. And yet they listened to the serpent and, and they, they, they transgressed, they disobeyed God. And it's just spread through the world. The utter depravity and the universal reach of sin. And when we look through this letter of Paul uh, at the book of Romans, you know, it, it's sufficient just looking through that book to highlight the plight of humanity and, and to understand why he preached the way that he preached. Because he knew the desperate need for the gospel and he wasn't going to leave any stone unturned. He wasn't going to hide anything under a bushel. He wasn't going to be ashamed of the gospel because he knew that the gospel needed to be declared. He knew that men and women needed to be saved and we need to be the same when we're preaching the word of God. We mustn't be ashamed to preach about anything. It doesn't matter if anybody gets offended. We need to preach it. Let them be offended because at the end of the day, the gospel is needed and the truth of the word of God is needed. And we find in Romans 3, Paul says, for we have already charged that all Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to, dece to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. What a picture of today. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Men and women don't care about God. Men and women don't fear God. And all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And then later in chapter 6, verse 23, he delivers the verdict. For the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and the wages of that sin is death. And the Hebrew writer, we don't know who he is, but you know, it, you know, it might have been Paul. Because such is the wonder of what is found in the book of Hebrews. He might have written it, but he says there, the writer, it is appointed unto man to die once. And we know that the dying, the death, is as a result of sin, for the wages of sin is death. But then he goes on to say, and after that comes judgment. Sin has serious consequences in this life and if not dealt with will have devastating effects through the countless ages of eternity. And John in his vision in the book of Revelation while on the Isle of Patmos he saw what the eternal devastating effects will be and this is what he saw. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. 
And then I saw the dead, great and small, the high, mighty, the pauper. I saw them standing before the throne. The books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he, she, was thrown into the lake of fire. Isn't that awful? That's the devastating eternal effect upon every man and woman that has remained in their sin. And we have friends that are going that way. We have family that are going that way. We have neighbours that are going that way. The desperate need of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, we have a massive harvest field outside. It's filled with men and women who need Jesus. And this should highlight for us not only the desperate need for the gospel to be made known, but the desperate need for us to preach it. The desperate need for us to share it as we look for opportunity, either through the testimony of our lips or the very testimony of our lives, so that others will come to know Jesus as Saviour and as Lord. I couldn't get away from the words of Jesus as I was preparing for this in Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 16. And this is what Jesus said. And this is what he says to you and me tonight. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people like a lamb and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in a house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. I am the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I am the light of the world. When we read those lists again, or if we read that list again in Romans, it's an unsavoury world, isn't it? It's an unsavoury world. And it's not just in the inner city of some of the bigger nations of the world. It's on our doorstep. The unsavouriness of sin. And we are the ones that are to be the salt. And it's a dark world. And it's getting darker. We who trust in Jesus are becoming an unwanted group of people. Which means it's going to get harder. And I tell you, if we're not willing to be the salt and light now, 
We won't certainly want to be when days are getting darker. We need to take the opportunity now. Be in the sun. Be in the light. So that those who are still in darkness can know what it is to have their lives transformed. See, the world may not always listen to our voices. Going back to my experience back in Tesco, back in the supermarket, there are other supermarkets. Going back to my experience in the supermarket, I could have tried to have preached my heart out to the staff and I may never have reached them. But I knew they were looking on. They were looking on. They were trying to trip me up. And I can think of other occasions when they tried to trip me up. Because they were watching to see if I lived to what I claimed to be. And so people may not always listen to us, but they're watching. They're watching. Our lives should be living testimonies to the transforming power of the gospel. And it's the gospel that Paul preached. It's the gospel that we have heard. And it's the gospel that we've responded to. So they should see that because we've had our sin problem dealt with, life is different. Life is better. Life has purpose. And life is filled with hope. May we never be ashamed of the gospel. May we never be ashamed to be different. That's the difficult word for so many today. Is the challenge, the call to be different. And I want to be different to my unbelieving neighbours. I want to be different to my unbelieving friends. I want to be different to my unbelieving family. Because Christ has made a difference. That means that I don't do what they do. I don't go to the places that they go to. And when I talk about places they go to, places which are unbecoming for a believer to be found in. And I don't get involved in the unbecoming things that they might be involved with. And we need to remember that we're different. And for us to become what we have become, it has cost. It has cost. And it's cost the precious blood of Jesus. And on that basis alone, knowing that he was willing to shed his blood for me, that should be enough for me to know I'm going to be different. I want to be different. I'm going to be different. And I'm a little shorter than what I know, only five foot five. I'm a little bit shorter than what I've got to share tonight. Because Sandra doesn't mind, but I just felt that at the end of what I've shared, when we think about the desperate need of the gospel, the desperate need for the gospel, we've all got people we know that need to come to Jesus. I just wonder if we could just spend five or ten minutes praying for them. 